Well, listen, we are starting a new series today. Uh, we, Pastor Tom ended our ACT series last week. I think it was like 30 weeks or something. I, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure the number at this point, but uh, um, amazing trip as we've gone through the, the birth of the church as we know it. And uh, it's been an awesome just ride going through it. But today we're heading into like a Christmas series and it's called Word Became Flesh. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. Um, as we enter into this season, we're celebrating essentially how, how God became one of us and, and he dwelt among us. So the key scripture for the next four weeks is going to be John chapter 1, verse 14, which says this, the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. It's this incarnation, the whole idea of, of God sending his one and only son to, to be born as a man and to dwell among us. And as we enter into this season, it's um, the big question that is mostly assumed but rarely explained is why? Like, why did God become one of us? Why did he have to become one of us? Why did he have to live as, as one of us and dwell among us? Because if we really think about it, honestly, like, um, nobody was really expecting this. This kind of came out of, out of no, no, nobody expected God to make a move like this, for God to humiliate himself and to become a human. Um, this was completely upside down. God never wanted to become human. Humans always wanted to become gods. We have emperors and kings that we can read about uh, that maybe believed wholeheartedly or at least forced people to worship them as gods. And even today, I would argue that many of us live our lives as though we were our own god, or at least we seem to worship a god that's subservient to our own proclivities. He always seems to agree with me. Um, and, and, and we kind of live our lives as humans trying to become gods. And not only that, like God shows up as a, as a baby in a manger. Like how um, unspectacular and fragile that is. So if you're making it up, I mean, you wouldn't, you, this wouldn't be the story. It would look like an Avengers movie, right? If I was to write, it would involve a lightning strike or some, some meteor from heaven and this muscular God-man crawling out of the smoke-filled crater and, like, kicking Satan's butt and, like, saving the world. Like, that's, that would be the story, because that's a story that we write. You got Disney+, Plus. you can watch all the Avengers movies, and none of them look like this. None of them look like this. Uh, it's not the story that, um, that we would write. God shows up as a baby in a manger, and we dress it up, and we make it look quaint, but the reality is, is it was messy. I think of Mary as... She's married to this guy named Joseph whose only plan was for her to give birth in a barn. Like this is not, um, this is not a clean story. This is kind of, a, kind of a mess. And this is the story that we find ourselves in that we, as we enter into the Christmas season, this is what we're going to be talking about. And this question that we're going to be drilling into and, and answering over the next few weeks is why. Why did God come as one of us and dwell among us? So, Turn with me to John chapter 14, and I'd love it if you'd stand as we honor the reading of God's word together. John chapter 14, and, uh, and let me just kind of set the stage for you a little bit so that you know what we're about to read here in John chapter 14. We're going to read verses 1 through 10 today. 
Um, allow me to set the stage for you. Jesus just ate uh, the la- what we know is the Last Supper, right? Um, Judas left early to take care of some business, and things are winding up. They're not winding down. With Jesus, everything is winding up. Jesus knows that he has hours before he dies, and he gets his disciples together, and he leans them, gets them to lean in, and he's like, hey, guys, listen, listen, listen. listen. I'm leaving. I, I'm, and, and where I'm going, you can't follow. And they start freaking out. What are you talking about? You're leaving us? We're going to go with you. And John chapter 14, verse 1, is Jesus' answer to them. Listen to what he says. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to them, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you really know me, you, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I am in the father and that the father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for this reminder as we head into this season that we call Christmas or Advent, that we wrestle with the question of of why. Yet we know you were born in a manger and we know the story that you came and lived as a man, that you died a sinner's death, that you rose from the dead. But like, why why did you need to do that in the first place? What is the reason that this all-knowing, all-powerful, all-omniscient God would do something so crazy? Lord, we thank you as we dig into your word that we get to get a glimpse of knowing you better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So he starts out with <laughs> I, I just need you to understand, like, like the disciples are freaking. They're like, this is the guy that they have left their businesses and their families. They've been following him for a couple years. They, they're, they're listening on every word. He, they've seen him do miracles and heal the, heal the sick. And they, I mean, they've seen him do amazing things. He sent them out to, to do some of those same things. They've come back and, oh my goodness, the demons flee. And they've seen, they've seen bread and fish multiply and feed thousands. This is amazing stuff. And they're just like, man, we are gearing up for the, the greatest like um, turnover, like we're, we, are, we are ready for Jesus to step into this kingly role that we know that he's ready for. And he's like, no, I'm leaving. Like, what do you mean you're leaving? They're freaking out. And look how Jesus responds to them in verse one. He just says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. 
Now, to a person who's freaking out, I know you've never freaked out before, but like to a person who is freaking out, it's almost like Jesus is saying to these guys who are freaking out, um, you, you should just stop that. I learned very early on in my marriage that it's never a good idea for me to just say, you need to calm down. <laughs> you, yeah, yeah. If you're married, you, if you're a man and you're married, you're a husband, let me just tell you, I'm going to clue you in. If you're, if you're looking to get married or stay married in a happy, happy marriage, I'm just telling you, I'm to tell your wife, like, you, you know what? You just need to calm down. It just doesn't go well. It actually works in the opposite, okay? It, it seems like it escalates. I don't know. I'm just a little, little marriage advice for you. Her name men down here. This man is worried about, about his wife and scared of her as well. And You know what I mean? Like... But, but, but Jesus just kind of acts like that. He's like, don't let your hearts be troubled. To these guys who are literally freaking out. Now here's the question. Is Jesus being insensitive? Like, is he just a jerk? Do we know Jesus to be a jerk that's insensitive and just like, y'all just need to stop. Just stop freaking out. I, see, I don't, I don't see Jesus as, I mean, he's very poignant and he, he's not afraid to tell truth, but he's not necessarily a guy that's just going to like dismiss you dismiss your feelings and all that. I think what Jesus is doing is he's making a distinction here. So follow along with me. See, Jesus never said that we would have an untroubled life. You see that? He never said that. In fact, later on, just a few chapters later in John chapter 16, he would say this, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Those are the words of Jesus. So what Jesus is saying is that you can have an untroubled heart in the midst of a troubled life. That's the distinction that Jesus is making. So when he says, like, do not let your hearts be troubled, he's not saying, like, oh, don't worry, guys, I'm going to stay. Don't worry, everything's going to be okay. He's saying, like, in this world you will have troubles, but you can walk through your troubles with an untroubled heart. That is the key to even walking in the Christian life. It doesn't necessarily mean that everything that we walk through, Jesus is just going to clear the way, and you're, you're going to look better, you're going to look 10 years younger if you just follow Jesus. The reality is, is that many times he calls us to walk through seasons in our life, and he just says, do not let your heart be troubled. It doesn't mean that you won't have troubles. It means that you can walk through it in an untroubled, with an untroubled heart. And he says, he follows up in verse 1, he says, you believe in God, Believe also in me. In other words, like trusting in Jesus enables you to not let your heart be troubled in the midst of trouble. This, quite honestly, is one of the greatest, if we can grasp this and walk through this in the Christian life, and I don't think preachers like me up on stages have done a great job of just like, you know, if you just give your heart to Jesus, your life's going to be better, and you're going to look, you're going to be more handsome, and all of these things are going to go awesome, you're going to get raises and bonuses and new jobs and all of these things. The reality is that in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. It's this thing that Paul writes about. We see it all throughout the Bible, and he, he says this in Philippians 4, 7. He says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is, is that there is this peace in the midst of the storm that only comes through Jesus. There is this light in the midst of darkness that only comes through Jesus. There is this untroubled heart in the midst of troubling times that only comes through Jesus. 
Jesus. This is what Jesus is, is, is telling to, to Philip and to Peter and to all of his disciples. He's like, look, guys, um, take heart. Do not let your hearts be troubled. This is beautiful promise that we have in Christ as we walk through dark times in our own life. And he continues, he says this in verse 2. He starts describing kind of heaven. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Now, I know you just, we just read through verses two through four, and you're like, yeah, yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. No, it doesn't. I love Thomas because I think we can get along because he's kind of like Captain Obvious. Like in all of the situations where, where Thomas just kind of speaks up, um, he just kind of raises his hand. We can see him, him saying kind of what all of us are thinking in verse five. He says, says Thomas said to him, Lord, um, we don't know where you're going. So uh, how can we know the way? In other words, if I'm going to recap what Jesus just said to these people who are freaking out and saying that, you know, I'm going to go someplace, but you can't go with me. Essentially, he's saying, okay, uh, Jesus, let me get this straight. We, we can't go with you, but you're going somewhere, and then you're coming back to take us back to the place where you were that we couldn't go, but, but we're supposed to know the way to the place that you're going, but we can't go, but we'll be soon. Like, Jesus, I don't know what we're talking about. You ever been there where you're just like, I know it sounded really, I'm sure everybody else here, the other 11 got this, well, well 10, because Judas left early, I don't know what he, like, but, but like, I, I don't know what we're talking about, Jesus. Like, have you ever been to the place where you're just like, Jesus says something very profound in your life, and you're like, I, I want to be like, yeah, 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 right, 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 but I have no clue what you're talking about. And Thomas just, just says it, and then Jesus answers with one of the most epic quotes. Verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way. So Thomas, you do know the way. And the truth, I am the truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, verse verse 6 is huge. These 19 words said by Jesus quite possibly give us one of the most potent understandings of why the word became flesh. They leave us virtually no wiggle room to wonder who exactly Jesus said that he was. I mean, it is so straight up out there. In fact, it's these 19 words that are also the reason why many people uh, think that Christianity is exclusive and offensive and narrow-minded. Like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody can come to the Father except through me. Because, because quite honestly, as we read verse 6, as we wrestle with verse 6, either that statement is absolutely true, or Jesus is a liar, or a delusional madman, to which I would, I, would, I, would, I would suggest and recommend that none of you follow him. 
Like, I, there, there, there's, it leaves no wiggle room for us. Like, either this dude is telling the truth, or he is a liar or, or a madman, and, and none of us should be following him. We're kind of wasting our time here this morning. But if it is true, but if it is true, then this changes the game. If it's true, this changes everything when it comes to spirituality and religion and what happens in life after death and how we live and love and work and worship. Like, it changes the game completely. Look at what Look at what Jesus says. He's, he starts out. He says, he says to Thomas and the rest of the disciples, he's like, I am, I am the way. In other words, you may feel lost, but, but if you know me, then you know the way. Why? Because I am the way. Yeah, but I don't know how to get there. You just follow me because I'm the way. Jesus is saying, I'm not just a way. I am the way. He do, I, I'm telling you, like, he doesn't mince words about this. And then, he, and, and, and then in case you're like, well, maybe he's just saying, like, I am one of many ways to get to the Father. He doubles down on it, and, and he makes no ambiguity, and he says something so narrow-minded. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And that is a huge claim. It was a huge claim for him to make then. It's a huge claim for him to make now. It's a huge claim for every single one of us, Christian, non-Christian, just human being to wrestle with as we seek spiritual answers. This is a huge claim. See, before Christians were called Christians, in the book of Acts, it's mentioned about five times. We just went through the book of Acts. So, like, it's mentioned about five times that um, followers of Jesus called themselves followers of the way. That's what they were known as. Christians were kind of like, uh, kind of a little Christs, you know, kind of a, almost a derogatory term that, that they were called by other people. But Christians, if you asked, what are you? What do you follow? He said, we are followers of the way. It's this reality that Jesus did not claim to have the best explanation of God. Jesus claimed to be the best explanation of God. Like he was God. So in other words, like choosing to follow Jesus doesn't mean that you adopt a, uh, like a Judeo-Christian ethic or a belief system or a set of moral laws or a set of behaviors. Like following Jesus means that he is leading you somewhere. We don't follow somebody unless they're leading us somewhere else. Like he's telling Thomas and he's reminding every single one of us that our home is not here. So if we say that we follow Jesus, just, just realize we're not just walking in circles. All right, the, the aim isn't for us to just kind of like follow him over here. Oh, you're going to go over here. He is leading us home. Every step of the way, as he says, like, I'm going to need you to put this aside. I'm going to need you to give this up. I'm going to need you to, to, to adopt this into your life. He's saying, on this road where I'm leading you and we're leading you home. In other words, like, I'm taking you to your true home. I've prepared a place for you and I'm coming back to take you to the place where I've been, heaven. I'm leading you home. When he says that he's the way, he's saying, I am the way home. The place that you long, that your heart longs, that you may not understand what it looks like and you haven't been there before, but I'm telling you, your heart longs to go there. I prepared a place for you. And there's a longing for eternity in the heart of man. And I'm the way. And he goes, goes on. He doesn't just say, I'm the way. He says, I'm, I'm the truth. I am the truth. There are many teachers and founders of world religions that will say that, we are, that they are teachers of truth, but it's only Jesus who says, I am the truth. 
I, I, that, that is me. I embody the truth. And in a day and age where truth seems relative and many times even unknowable, Jesus drops a literal truth bomb and says, if you want to know the truth, get to know me. That is a huge claim. And again, either it's true or the guy who said, I am the truth, is actually the liar, right? This is the stuff where you can't just kind of like Jesus and be like, oh, he's a good guy, a lot of good things to say, because he said stuff like this, which would make him a liar, a madman, or just possibly the Messiah. Either it's true or it's completely false. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. John describes Jesus here in, in John 1, verse 4. He says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so John is reminding himself, reminding us, that when you know Jesus, that you have the, the life of Jesus and the light of Jesus that shines through you in the darkest of times. That darkness does not overcome light. Amen? May you be reminded as a follower of the way, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. May you be reminded that you have the light and the life of Christ that you carry the presence of God into every and all situations that you have, that you walk into. Honestly, like, not to hit a little too home, but to hit home, like one of my greatest concerns in our current day, where we're at right now in America, is that our fear of death has caused us to stop living. I'm not, I'm not minimizing what we're going through. I'm just saying that like, surely there is a cause. And in our fear of darkness, has caused us to stop, to stop shining. And this is, this is what Christ has called us to. He's called us to, to carry the life and the light of Christ. The great theologian, William Wallace, Braveheart, I don't know if he's much of a theologian, but I like him. Um, he said, every man dies, not every man really lives. And I just encourage you, in, in the place of all the distractions and the worries of our day, and, and I'm not negating them, I'm even not diminishing them, I'm just saying that like surely there is a cause. Surely in the midst of our fears there is something to live for. This should be our finest hour. This should be the, the, the time where the darker the room, the more noticeable the light is. Amen? And so Jesus says verse 6, those 19 words that have echoed throughout eternity from the moment he said them. From the moment John wrote that down and said, what, what did you just, you, okay. Jesus drops the mic after making this amazing declaration of his identity of I am the way, I am the truth, and I have the life. I am the life. And, and, and I want you to, to, to realize that just like, just like us, these disciples were still freaking out. They weren't like, oh, thank you so much for that. 
Right? You're the way, the truth, and life. Nobody else can come to the Father. But you're still leaving us. Right? They're, they're still stuck on this. Like, but hold on a second. Like you just said, like, we can't go, but you can go. But you're going to come back and take us to the place where we can't go, but we'll be soon. But we know the way, but we don't know because we've never been there, but we're supposed to know. Like, I don't understand what's going on. And Philip was still struggling. In verse 8, look what he says. After, after Jesus drops the mic, says one of the most epic answers, Philip says, Lord, could you, you know, show us the Father. That'll be enough for me. Like, if we could just see God, right? I could just see him. Just, like, maybe hold him, touch him. Like, I don't know, one of those, like, magic lamps. What, what, just, just show us the Father, that, that'll, that'll be enough for us. This is the, this is the words of, of Philip. I mean, it's just, he, he's still struggling. What I find interesting is this, that so many of us, myself included, um, convince ourselves that if only we could see Jesus, if only I could walk with you, if only I could have just like talked with Jesus. Like, I mean, we look at the, at the time of the disciples. I mean, like they had it made, right? Like, I mean, Jesus, they're walking with Jesus. They're like holding hand with Jesus. Jesus is showing them stuff. They're touching Jesus. They're, they're with Jesus, talking with him. Everything is life with, with Jesus. And what I, what I find interesting is this, that we think, well, if I could just do that, then, then I would never doubt. But Philip, but Philip had exactly what we think would be enough and his response to Jesus in the flesh is, if only I could see the Father, well, then, then, then that would be enough for me. I could just, if I could just see God. And it's this, it's this struggle within every human heart that as long as we need another sign, another miracle, another word to convince us it will never be enough. It just won't. So if, I, know, I know some of you, maybe you're in here, and you're just like, I don't know. I just don't know how I feel about Jesus. I'm kind of here. A friend invited me. I just don't know. Like, I, I, I'm just, if, if I could see Jesus, if you, you could just have him come down, and, and maybe he could speak rather than this guy who's kind of mumbling. Like, maybe you, if, if I could just see him, then that would be enough. But but we know that signs do not save you. Miracles do not save you. Prophetic words do not save you. They point you to a person, Jesus. And if we stop short of Jesus and settle for seeking after spiritual manifestations that we think will be enough, we will find ourselves continually seeking and it never being enough for us because they were never meant to satiate the human heart. It is only the relationship with the way, the truth, and the life, the word, become flesh, Jesus. This is the struggle that, that in our spiritual walk, when we stop short of Jesus, we always stop short. And watch how Jesus responds in verse 9. He kind of gets a little mad. I don't know. I envision him being a little curt with Philip. He says, don't you know me, Philip? Come on. Don't you know me? Like, even after I've been among you such a long time, I've been putting up with you all, right? It's been years. And I'm sure Philip is kind of thinking like, um, but yeah, but 
Jesus, I said I wanted to see the Father, not you. I can see you. I, I just I want to see God the Father. I, I don't understand why, why you're saying this. And he goes on, and Jesus follows it up so that there's no ambiguity. And he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? In other words, this is Jesus's, like, he knows he has hours before he dies. He's like, guys, come on, bring it in, bring it in. I need you to understand something. I am as close as you're ever going to get to seeing what God the Father is like. I'm as close as it gets. This is a huge claim. This is this claim, like I am, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And so if you want to know what the Father says, listen to me. If you want to, like this is a huge claim. It's a thing that so many people struggle with. In verse 10, it goes on, he says, don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. In other words, if you want to know what God would say, listen to me. And then he goes on. Rather, it is the Father living in me who does his work. If you want to know what the Father would do, follow me. If you want to know what, uh, how God would respond in this situation, watch how I do it. It seems pretty exclusive. That Jesus is the embodiment of God in the flesh. That when we follow Jesus, we follow God. Whew. He says this in Matthew 11, verse 20. I'm going to read it in the message paraphrase. I just love how Jesus says this. He says, are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? And this is the heart of it. Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. And then he says this, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. He says this kind of rhythm. He's like, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. It's this reality that Jesus doesn't get, just give us directions or advice or counsel. He simply doesn't talk to you about the way. He is the way. He takes us by the hand and leads us which is very different than a whole set of, like, of religion rules of things that you need to do to accomplish, to be able to earn your way into the good graces of this, of this God, unknowable, impersonal God. Jesus is like, no, God sent me, his one and only son, as perfect theology, and so you walk with me, work with me, and follow me. Hmm. He says, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So one of the reasons... The big, big idea today is this. One of the reasons that the word became flesh is so that we could know God. God sent his son to be born as a man. The word became flesh so that we could know the father. That's what Jesus is saying. God so wanted you to know him that he didn't just send information, he sent himself. This is the beauty of the incarnation. This is the beauty of 
the word becoming flesh. Like, what if God wanted to know you so much? God wanted you to know him so desperately that he made it so simple that it's been right under your nose the entire time. That it is, it's so simple, and yet it is one of the things, man, I'll tell you, verse 6, should read it and remind ourselves of that every stinking day. I'd just be reminded of this opportunity that has been placed in front of us, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. Because both inside and outside of the church, what we, what we find is we find ourselves backing away from Jesus thinking like finding other things that, that are the way and the truth and the life. We end up backing, as we back away from Jesus, we back into other things to find the way and to find the truth and to find the life. And so instead of looking to Jesus to find and to be the way, the truth, and the life, we start looking at other things. We look to our circumstances. Like, okay, well, this is a good circumstances. This means more money. This means more fame. This means more power. This means whatever. So this must be from God. Or we look at bad circumstances. We This must be from the devil. Like, I'm going to stay as far away from that. The problem when we look to our circumstances to be the way, the truth, and the life is that we are absolutely horrible at interpreting our circumstances. Can we just be honest for a second? Like, we're bad at it. Like, we never get it right. I mean, I, I, if, I, if I am de- defining my circumstances as like dictating my decision-making, man, I, I can't tell you how many times it leads to regret. How many times has, has that, like, that job loss or that, um, that breakup or that, that circumstance that looked horrible in the moment? It's like, oh my gosh, my life's over. It's horrible. She broke up with me and it's bad and all these things. In the moment, it's the worst thing that could ever happen. And it's only when you look back on it, you're like, man, I'm so glad I dodged that bullet. Oh, that was a, woo, right? I mean, like, you're just like, I'm so glad that I lost that job because I never would have had the opportunity that I'm currently in right now. I'm so glad that she broke up with me because wow, I'm so glad that I get to be with the one that I am with right now. And this is an opportunity for every husband in here to be like, amen, amen, (laughs) trying to help you. Marriage advice, I'm helping you, right? Because there's this reality, we are horrible at interpreting our circumstances. Horrible. And yet we're always looking at our circumstances to dictate the way, the truth, the life. But we know in our hearts that we're not good at this thing. And whenever we allow our circumstances to dictate our decisions, it usually leads to regret. But yeah, we keep looking still. We keep looking. And instead of looking for Jesus to be the way and the truth and the life, we end up looking within. It's a big thing today, right? Just looking within. So it's our, it's our peace and our happiness and our satisfaction and our feelings that... Well, that, that's, what we, that's what leads us. That's what we end up following. That's, that's what we're running after. The problem is that. When, the problem is that within is limited to what is within. Follow your heart looks really good on a mug, right? Let's follow your heart. Oh, my gosh. We should, we should blow that up and put that on the wall. That sounds amazing, right? Follow your heart. Right? And people were like, what's wrong with that? I live my life by that, right? I mean, it looks really great on a coffee mug. It sounds really, really deep. 
The problem is, is that it's not in the Bible. Like, the Bible says don't follow your heart, inform your heart. Follow Jesus. Don't trust in your heart, trust in Jesus. Inform your heart to come in alignment with Jesus, and then you can follow that. But you just be like, oh, I don't know, I just kind of like, oh, I just feel, I just think. I'm just, I'm just considering, like this reality that as we, in our current culture, follow our heart, we follow our heart into a whole lot of regret. And so when we look within, the problem is, is that we're forced to look to our own self-righteousness for salvation. We kind of make up our own uh, theology so that rather than following Jesus to be the way and the truth and the life, we rest in this type of like moral deism that like uh, if, I, if I do enough good things and I've somehow earned my way into heaven. But if we're honest, we don't know what that means. We don't know where, that, where the line is. Like, well, if I just do enough good things, then that's going to get... How many is a good? How, how many is enough? How many things do you have to do? And so we don't know. So what do we do? We start comparing ourselves to the person on the side of us. We start comparing ourselves to Becky. You know who Becky is. You gotta, you, you know, you got, Becky's the, the person in your life you're just like, I'm better than her. Right? Like, Becky's a two-faced hypocrite, right? I mean, like, so, so we end up coming to God. We're like, hey, God, uh, congratulations. You're welcome. I'm not Becky. As though that were, as though that was a standard. Just don't be Becky. You get to go to heaven. That's not hard. We know where she's going. Right? Because we look within and we somehow dictate our own moral deism as though this is the standard of what we're supposed to do when Jesus just says, no, no, no. Quit trying to do this on your own. Quit looking to yourself. Quit looking for within to be the way, the truth, and life. I'm telling you, Philip. I'm telling you, Peter. I'm telling you, church. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Follow me. And Jesus' last words before his disciples is this. He's reminding them and reminding us, don't follow your circumstances. Don't follow yourself. That's only going to lead to regret and weariness and running in circles. He says, walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. I want you to stand with me. These 19 words in verse 6, I would encourage every one of you to wrestle those to the ground and to really ask that question, like, do I believe that? Like, this is who Jesus says that he is, essentially part of the reason why the word became flesh is so that we can know the Father. Jesus says, you want to know what the Father would say? Listen to me. You want to know what the Father would do? Watch me. You want to know how the Father would respond in that situation? Watch how I do it. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Follow me. Why? Because I'm not just leading you into some religious practice where you just got to give up all the things that you don't want to give up and do all the things that you don't want to do. I'm leading you home. There's a destination we're not just following him like a, like a little mother hen and, and she's just walking around in circles. We're following Jesus home. He's saying, I'm, I've gone, I'm preparing a place for you and I'm coming back to take you to the place where you haven't been but you will be soon. Every single one of us are on that same path. I've never been to heaven. Well, you will be soon. And Jesus says, walk with me. Work with me. 
Watch how I do it. In just a moment, we're going we're gonna to receive communion together. So I'd, you can go ahead and grab out your, your little packet. If you, if you came in here today and you didn't get one, um, we've got some, some ushers in the back, and they'd love to get you one of those. Just kind of like raise your hand real quick, and they'll come around and, and give you that. If you're joining us online, this is an opportunity for you to just be a part of, wh- of what we're doing here as a church family. And so I'd love you can grab a cracker, some juice, whatever you have handy. The elements isn't necessarily the most significant thing. It's just this reality that we share in the body and blood of Jesus Christ together. And like every time, um, every time we celebrate communion together, we celebrate the word became flesh. Every time we celebrate communion together, we celebrate the incarnation of God as a man. We celebrate being followers of the way, the truth, and the life. And we remind ourselves that no one comes to the Father except through him. And so this is like a sacred ordinance that we take part in. And here's what I want to put out there to you. Whether you're here today or maybe you're online watching, like, Maybe, maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you've, you, you've, you've never made him your way and your truth and your life. Here's what I want to put out there to you. As you take communion, and maybe you've taken communion before, maybe you've been a part of church and you've kind of done this thing and it's a perfunctory thing, it's snack time, whatever this looks like to you, maybe this is an opportunity for you to just say, today's different. Like today I'm committing my life to the way, the truth and the life. Today I'm choosing to say, you know what, I've been backed into all kinds of other ways, all kinds of other truths, all kinds of way of other living, but I'm choosing today to just say, Jesus, I'm going to make you my Lord, my Savior. We say those words, but I love the way that Jesus says it better than we do. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so as you take communion, um, make this moment a moment of surrender. Maybe you've been walking away from the Lord. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to make a, a rededication, a commitment to the way, the truth, and the life. And this is what I want to I want to um, encourage you to do. This is something that we don't just necessarily do um, individually. Um, it's a, the beautiful thing that we do as a community, as as a people. And so, um, I want you to find someone. I know this is difficult at this time, but the lights are on, so you're okay. You just look to your left, look to your right, somebody that maybe you came with. If you came by yourself, you can kind of look around. And uh, I want you to find somebody that, that you, you're going to be able to kind of like receive communion together. Um, you're not going to share communion, don't worry. Uh, this is just going to be an opportunity. I'm going to give you some things that I want you to say to each other. So I want you to find somebody. So look around. I know, it's, I know this is really awkward. I just want to look around. And I want you, when you see, when you make eye contact, give the head nod. So like, I got you, head nod. You know what I'm talking about? Like, got you. So find that person, make, make eye contact, I got you. I want you to get kind of close enough so that they can hear you, right? So just kind of maybe you got to cross over, whatever that looks like. Just kind of get, get kind of paired up at least. And you got a trio, that's cool, that's fine. But just find, find somebody else to kind of say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to receive communion together. Make eye contact. All right, 
You good? We good? All right. Keep looking. All right. Let me read the scripture to you. It says, The Lord Jesus, in the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your neighbor, your new best friend, and I want you to simply say these words before you eat together and, and take turns saying it to each other and say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's eat together. Those of you who are online, let me say it to you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's eat. The same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Turn to your neighbor and say these words. No one comes to the Father except through him. Let's drink together. Lord, some of the most seemingly exclusive, offensive claim, the truth of the gospel, the truth of word becoming flesh, the truth of why you sent your one and only son. Lord, I thank you that in in, in a place of us maybe getting offended of Jesus being the way, I, I, I thank God that you made a way through Christ. And the simplicity of it, that it is right underneath our nose the entire time to just come to say, Lord, I follow you. You are my way. You are my truth, and you are my life, and I choose to follow you. Lord, I thank you. May we be reminded in this Christmas season the beauty of God making a way where there seemed to be no way, making a way where all of our ways always seem to fail and turn into regret. Lord, I thank you that you made a way where there was none. And so, Lord, I thank you. We praise you. We lift you up. We thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us so that we could know our Father. Take us home. Lead us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.